you're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Well, we've started a series on worship uh, with a woman at a well going about her work. Every day, a, wom- the, a woman's work in Samaria, among other things, was to go to the local watering hole to get enough water for her family for the day bringing it home in these massive jars on their heads. It was there in her work that she met a wandering rabbi who seemed to be out of place. And his name was Jesus. And he taught her probably for the first time in her life what true worship was meant to be. And she learned what it meant to worship God in her work. And in her encounter with Jesus, we too learned that worship is not about a particular time or place or posture. It's more than just Sunday mornings. It's more than just singing songs. It's more than just sermons and and praying and raising hands. But it is about knowing our place in worship in relation to the king, his kingdom, and his dominion. And that does it not get reflected in how we approach God. Worship is, after all, an approach, an approach of the living God. And it's a verb, and it's meant to be active. There's a definition that I've thought through quite a bit that I want to reaffirm every single Sunday, and that is this. Worship is the activity, whether instinctively, in other words, whether it's just compulsive, it just happens through you, or willfully, whether you make a choice in the moment. It is the activity of one's heart, soul, mind, and body in response to being moved by the worth of God. From this woman at the well, we saw then that, and we learned today, that work can and should be an extension of our worship of God. The expectation of a 40-hour work week, a 9 to 5 Monday through Friday work week, seems like a universal inevitability for us in the West. The burden of humanity is that all of us have to work, but not every one of us feels the same way about work, do we? And the beginnings of the modern work week as we know it actually came about during the Industrial Revolution from the mid-1700s to the mid-1800s with the rise of factories and the industrialization of the West. In fact, according to historian Benjamin Honeycutt, it was common for workers back then in the United States time-wise to be working up to 70 hours per week, six days a week. 70 hours, six days a week. Since the year 2000, bloggers and economists have been playing with alternatives of of trying to figure out a different work week to the five-day work week. One of the the ones that has gained the most traction through experimentation is the four-day work week. You can even buy a book on it. And one of the gains is it, of it is that it works you for 10 hours a day, four days a week, and employees then can take a midweek break on Wednesday. And according to the research of those who are doing it, it has increased productivity, profitability for the company, and has employee satisfaction going through the roof. But at the heart of the matter, work is still work, isn't it? And work, to most people, is still seen as a burden or a curse. Even the four-day work-weekers still see the days as a burden that they have to put up with. And since forever, probably, people have been trying to figure out how to get out of work. 
or to retire from it quicker than others can do, that Freedom 55 venture, right? Since COVID, with employers trying to figure out what to do with employees, giving them computers to take home to, to work with at where possible, employees have begged to keep that arrangement going now that the pandemic is over, and some employers are struggling to figure out whether it's feasible economically or even socially for their company. They're trying to figure out what to do about it. Regardless of our feelings toward our work, the Bible says that our work was meant to be a part of our worship of God. And when you think about how much time you spend at work compared to at, say, church, for instance, or in your personal devotional time, or our work gets a disproportionate amount of our time, our attention, and our time. So how do we work with work? How do we worship God with our work? Because when we're at work, we should be working, right? Not worshiping. I mean, we're on company time, not God time. Well, I'd like us to look at three biblical tools this morning to help us learn how to worship with our work. If you have your, bullet, your sermon notes, I encourage you to follow along with us in that. Uh, grab your Bible, and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 3. Three biblical tools to help us worship with our work. And, and, and when I give them to you, understand that, that obviously, okay, what about the retireds in, in amongst us? We have a lot of retireds amongst us. What, how does this apply to them? Well, you'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but don't tune me out. It's not time for a nap like usual. We're going to listen to this, okay? Work to stay awake. Ecclesiastes 3s tells us how to make the most out of our work for our worship. Verse 1 to 8. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear down, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace, a time to nap, but this is not that time, okay? <laughs> so we got lots of work references in there for us, don't we? I have discovered that there are roughly three seasons of work. Okay, you got them? You're going to write them down here. There's a season of frustration. This is the season of your life and work that is not necessarily very satisfying. You might be in a job that you don't like or want. You're doing it simply out of necessity. You wish you could quit, but you can't. And so you feel trapped. What can you do? You're frustrated. You're working hard, but your joy and your satisfaction levels are at a minimum. The season, like climate seasons, may repeat themselves throughout your life. In fact, you might get multiple seasons of frustration. Season of frustration. There's also the season of fruitfulness. The season of fruitfulness. This is a season in your life and work that is very satisfying. Work may be going well, even very well. 
Most mornings you have a good feeling about the day ahead. You, you anticipate good things and good results at the end of the day. You're just kind of cruising along. You're maximizing your productivity. You're checking off all the boxes of your projects. And it's just a fun season to be in for work. And hopefully you have many of them. Then there's a third season. The season of finishing touches. The season of finishing touches. This is a season of your life that only happens at a certain time of life. At retirement. You've done your bit for king and country. Now it's your time. You've paid your taxes, you've paid your dues, you're, you've supported your family, and again, now it's your time. And with this time, things have changed greatly in your life. It takes some getting used to, not having to punch the clock every day. You still wake up early, not necessarily by choice, maybe by habit. Sometimes you've got a lot of things that you want to do in the day, sometimes you have nothing to do in the day, and you might actually be feeling a bit bored after a little while in this time. You may also be thinking about having to go back to work, some of you. People are living longer and the bills keep coming in. And without the benefits packages from work, dentists and prescriptions are adding up. Sometimes you feel unproductive. Sometimes you don't know how you feel. Maybe you just feel old. Maybe even a bit unneeded. And now you're thinking of all the things you need to finish up before you feel like you're ready to wrap things up. Have you done enough? Is there more to do? That's the season of finishing touches. So the, the season of frustration, the season of freight, uh, fruitfulness, and the season of finishing touches. Every one of us is one, in one of these three places in life regarding our work. So how do you worship God in these three seasons? Well, let me give you the three tools that will help you to do this. Number one, tool number one. Look at your work from God's perspective. Tool number one is to look at your work from God's perspective. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 9 to 10, the teacher makes this observation. We just call the writer of Ecclesiastes, typically we call him the teacher. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. Nothing is better for helping you deal with your current situation in life than perspective. And sometimes when you're in the thick of things, though, it's hard to get your bearings so that you can make the right move forward into a more satisfying direction. And that's why it's important to get God's perspective on your work, the teacher says. Remember, work is one of the activities and relationships that you have in your life network. It's a place you're going to spend a lot of time. And like I said, you and I will spend an enormous, a disproportionate amount of time in our work. Probably more than any other circle on your life network. Even family. So, why not get a bird's eye view from God's perspective on your work? Thankfully, the Bible explains God's perspective on the subject very perfectly, even our work. Verses 9 to 10, the teacher makes this observation. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. So the first perspective that God's word gives us about our work is this. Number A, if you will. Work has always been God's plan for your life. You can write that with a shaking hand. Work has always been God's plan for your life. 
Work has always been God's plan for your life. I have seen the burden God has laid on men, all men. When God made man to begin with and placed him in the Garden of Eden, it is very clear from Scripture that God made him to work. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This means that work is not the product of the fall. Shucks, can't blame it on that. Instead, it's divine in origin and considered good. In fact, as we look at the creation of the world, we see that God himself worked to produce it. So it it shouldn't surprise us that God expects us to work also, since we are in his image, after all, and since he commanded it. We are, after all, his kids. Now, I don't know what that does for you, whether it makes you happy or sad, but it should at least give you some perspective, God's perspective on your work. Now, you may be wondering, why is work so laborious at times then? Well, Genesis 3.17 and following just tells us why. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. So the second perspective from God's word on your work is this. Letter B, God has placed a curse on your work because of sin. Work has been cursed by God because of sin. Now according to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their rebellion resulted in their work being corrupted. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Work sometimes is physically hard. Sometimes it is extremely hard. For others it might be mentally hard or emotionally hard. Work takes us away from the people we love and the things we love to do. We all find that hard. However, that does not mean that work can't be fulfilling and meaningful. It simply means that we need to be prepared to accept it, to accept the toil and the painfulness of it sometimes that comes with it. Again, it's a matter of perspective, especially God's perspective on it, because it makes a difference between pain and fulfillment. God's perspective makes the difference between pain and fulfillment. So that was tool number one. Look at your work from God's perspective. It's part of God's plan for your life, even though sometimes it is a burden. Tool number two. Tool number two, feed your faith, you might want to insert in there, at work. Feed your faith at work, not your frustration. Feed your faith at work, not your frustration. Verse 12 to 14. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken away from it. God does does it so that men will revere him. From God's perspective, work is not just so that you can put food on the table and pay the bills. God designed it so that you could find satisfaction in it. Verse 13. And when you do, work then becomes a gift from God. And perhaps in your work life, you've had those moments where you think, man, this is a real gift from God. 
But you know what? It's kind of hard to find satisfaction in something that you resent most times. And growing up, the world constantly bombards us with, with ungodly attitudes toward our work. You've probably heard of Mark Twain. Some of you younger people may not. He wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. He was considered one of America's greatest authors and, and humorists, and, and a man who was wise sort of beyond his time. And he offered this advice about work when asked about it. He said, here's my answer. Do something every day that you don't want to do. This is the golden rule for acquiring the habit of doing your duty without pain. That sounds like it's kind of insightful, doesn't it? I mean, it, oh yeah, that sounds pretty wise. But it still twists our attitude toward our work, doesn't it? And we grow up with people and influences whose perspective on work is not reflective of God's. And you know what? That shapes our opinions of it. So somehow in this world, with its resentful perspective on work, you and I need to figure out how to feed our faith with our work, not feed our frustrations. Because if you reject God's perspective on your work, and you're always fighting to find your true purpose in it, you will never discover how it can be a gift from God. Our teacher in Ecclesiastes 3 repeats a short kind of faith statement twice, starting in verse 12 and then verse 14. He says, I know there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. Verse 14, I know that everything God, will, uh, everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. In verses 12 and 14, the teacher says, I know, and that tells us what he knows, and then tells us what he knows. This is a Hebrew word, yadah, which means it's, it's sort of a, a word stating an affirmation and a yielding. It's a statement of something that someone strongly believes to be true, but also they yield to it. It's a faith statement. In this case, the teacher is affirming that the purpose of work from God's perspective, and then yielding to that fact... And that changes the purpose that God establishes for our work in our minds and our hearts. The teacher is affirming the purpose of work from God's perspective, yielding to that fact that every purpose that God establishes can never be changed. Essentially then, the teacher is acknowledging that work is painful at times. He strongly believes God desires him to experience happiness and satisfaction in that work, not in spite of the curse, but because God ordained it and God is in it. That makes a big difference in the way we look at our work, doesn't it? Can you declare that by faith yourself? Can you say, to this I yield? I know there is nothing better for me than to be happy and to do good while I live. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. Yeah, but what if you're in the season of frustration? Which is winning? The frustration or your faith? Here's the thing. Okay, you listening? If your level of yielding to God in it is low... That means that your faith is equally low. Your lack of yielding 
may become evident, maybe not to yourself, but maybe in your attitude at work, maybe when you get home from work. Your level of yielding may be evident in your performance at work. Maybe it's affecting your relationships there or at home. You can change that by countering frustrations with faith. Trust God with your work. Yield to God in your work. Yielding is your first step toward worshiping God with your work. You get that? Say that with me. Say, just follow after me. Yielding, Yielding. is my first step, my first step. Toward, worshiping God toward worshiping God with my work. Now, let me give you a third tool to help you work on your work as worship. Tool number three, revere the Lord in every season. Revere the Lord in every season. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does so, so that men will revere him. The teacher starts out acknowledging what we all know to be true, that there are seasons to life. And you have to go through those seasons. But you don't have to be a victim of those seasons. You don't have to listen to the perspective of the world regarding those seasons and your work. God designed your work in every season in it so that you can learn to yield to him. And what better classroom, nine to five, five days a week? God designed your work in every season in it so that you can learn to yield to him. And if you yield to God in your work and in the, and in the seasons, you will learn to revere him. And isn't that the point of all things? And that, my friends, is worship. And since work consumes so much of your week and so much of your life, why not learn to worship God in it? Verse 14, God has ordained it so that men will revere him. But if you refuse to yield to God's perspective on your work, think about how much worship you are withholding from your maker. Have you thought of it that way? Some of you struggle to figure out how to get up earlier, even an hour earlier every day so that you can have a better quiet time, so that you can spend more time devoted to the Lord in worship. Well, what about worship 9 to 5, Monday to Friday? What about worshiping then or, or whatever your work schedule is? It seems, as verse 14 reads, that God has placed toil upon us to teach us to reverence God in all things. So that we can worship him Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, whatever your routine is. Not just on Sundays. Remember, it was in the garden that a lack of reverence of God resulted in a curse upon work. Looking at it from that perspective, we can see why work is sometimes painful. But when we put our faith in God and we yield our work to him, and we yield to him the seasons of life, we reverence him, right? And he makes it possible for work to become satisfying, not in spite of the painful toil, but because he ordains it for our good, and he is in it. He is in your work. 
So you know what that does? That makes me thankful for my work. Colossians 3 backs that up. Gives us a bit of a New Testament perspective on it. Colossians 3, verses 22 to 25. Slaves, that's somehow how we feel, right? Obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. There it is. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Who is it you're serving at work? The Lord Lord Christ. So I want you to think about some things for a moment. Some of you may be in a season of frustration. How are you reverencing God with your work? What is controlling you? Your frustrations or your faith? Are you yielded to God? Some of you may be in a season of fruitfulness. Work is fulfilling. Work is great. It's more than a paycheck. I love it. But sometimes in this season of life and work, sometimes it's easy to forget the Lord. Things are going so well that you forget who you're really working for. And you forget to thank God for your work. You may even be tempted to get so wrapped up in your work that you forget other priorities of your faith, like your witness at work. Oh, man, if I share Jesus with this coworker, I might not have a job to go back to. Or they'll turn away from me and never talk to me again, never want to work on another project. Or you may, might neglect spending time with family when you get home. Or maybe you're neglecting your morning disciplines of faith because you're in too much of a hurry to get to work. Or maybe you're just too tired when you get home from work to do anything but sit in front of the television. Or maybe you got a little bit more work to wrap up. Or maybe you neglect the gathering of the church on Sundays and you prioritize work over church. Some of you may be in the season of final touches. Ah, retirement, eh? This is the season you longed for every day that you were at work in the marketplace. Robert Laura, who wrote the book Naked Retirement, now I've caught your attention, right? Maybe some of you can relate to something he wrote. He says this, Retirement doesn't eliminate work. It reorients it. And that's what people get wrong. Work doesn't go away. You just have to work on different things. You have to work on your health, your relationships, finding purpose, staying engaged, staying connected, and it takes work. People don't realize that. No one is telling them that. People assume they're gaining so much when they go to retirement, but they're also losing a lot too. And if we don't have replacements, that's why people waste the first two to three years trying to figure out trying to figure it out because they don't have those replacements. Folks, you and I were designed by God to work. Nothing can replace that. Not even official retirement. You and I were designed to work, to find in our work and through our work and in every season of our work beautiful ways to worship Him. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. You may be retired from the public workforce, but let me give you the news if you haven't heard it yet. You never retire from the work of the kingdom of God. You're never too old to make a difference. Verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. We want the happy stuff of retirement. But so many retired stop doing good. They stop serving the king and his kingdom. I've put in my time, they tell us. You want your retirement to have purpose and, and meaning, as the teacher says, to find, then find out how to keep doing good. Retirement is that time. We should plan to put those finishing touches on our walk with the Lord in that time and to find new projects to serve the Lord in. I'm 10 years away, a little less than 10 years away from the official retirement age, but I already know what I plan to do to serve the Lord in my retirement because I want to keep worshiping God with my work until they put me in the ground. I love what A.W. Tozer said. Tozer was a great Alliance pastor and author, and you probably read one of his books. He says this, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. See, some of you are bored in retirement. It's supposed to be a gift to you on how to worship the Lord by by continuing your service just in a different way. But some of you are bored in retirement because you're bored with God. And your work shows it. Here's the thing a retired pastor once told me. He said this. You got to keep giving work to the Lord in your retirement. It's kind of like tithing. If you refuse to tithe, then God will allow all your money to piddle away until there's no more money left at the end of your month. Likewise, if you refuse to keep working for the Lord in your retirement, God will allow your retirement to be piddled away with doctor's appointments and television until you die an early, boring death. Ephesians 8, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will re- reward everyone for, what he, for whatever good he has done. Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon. This is the end of the matter, folks. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has what? Done. Fellow worshiper, the worshiper you are now will be the worshiper you are in heaven. Are you ready to give your full worship to God? Some of you still have some finishing touches to make on all that, and that's great, but you better get working. For those who haven't hit this season of life yet, but are looking forward to it, the season of finishing touches, I think we've all begun to make plans and dreams for what our retirement will hold. Some of us are banking on the 649 to help us with that, but it may not ever happen. But let's make one important retirement goal, shall we? Right now. That no matter what season of work you may be in right now, that you will determine to use the tools God has given you. Tool number one, look at your work from God's perspective. You were created to work, 
And that's a good thing. Tool number two, feed your faith at work, not your frustrations. And tool number three, revere the Lord in every season. And you will be justly rewarded at the end of days. Would you bow your heads with me? Now I want you to imagine yourself, it's Monday morning, and you're getting ready for work. You may have to drive to a different location for your work, or you may be working right at home. Imagine yourself ready to meet your day, but you're not fully prepared yet. Maybe you're retired, and you don't have to punch the clock, but you're up, you're ready for your day, you've read your daily bread, and you don't know what's going to happen in the rest of it. Depending on the season you're in, imagine yourself lifting your work to the Lord. Lift up that frustration and give it over to the Lord right now. Just say it. Lord, I give up my frustration to you. Ask him to change your perspective and your attitude toward your work. To give you the ability to see your work from his height so that you may revere him with it. Lift up your fruitfulness to God. Just say, Lord, I give you my fruitfulness. Things are going well at work, but I give you thanks for my work. You are the one who has brought this season in my life. Acknowledge to him that your happiness and satisfaction is a gift. Thank him for it. Acknowledge to him that you are dependent on him for your future happiness as well as your present. Lift up your season of finishing touches your retirement to God. You may not even be near retirement yet, but you could still give it to him anyway, couldn't you? Determine now that retirement will be your gift to him, that you will find a way to do good, that you will find a ministry where you can use your skills to give him his due, to show him his worth in your life, to revere his name, and that you will not stop until the last breath exits your body. Whatever season you're in, give him your time and your life experiences, your skills, and all that your work has brought to you to be used to minister and to serve others. Lord, we give you all these seasons, and we choose today to determine to work for you forever, acknowledging that there will still be work in heaven. We forget that, but there will be. Thank you, Lord, for our work. May this fellowship here, all, regardless of the season we're in, may we all be faithful workers. And God's people said. Well, this wraps up our series on true worship. Remember, worship is meant to be this. Worship is the activity whether instinctively or willfully, of one's heart, soul, mind, and body in response to being moved by the worth of God. Have you been moved by God these last few weeks? Then may he be reverenced. God bless you. 